today. We are all in need of God's great grace. But you might want to ask them, why do we elevate biblical womanhood? Not just talking about motherhood this morning, but uh, speaking to all of us, because certainly as men, we need to be about elevating biblical womanhood. Well, it's, as we started last week, we saw the Bible is profitable, right? It is God's inspired, inerrant, infallible word. It gives us an instruction, a guide for life, and it's profitable for what we saw Paul telling Timothy for teaching, for correcting, uh, for rebuking, for training in righteousness. And so when it teaches us about the home, it is still God's perfect description of what the home is to be about. And so if you'll find your place in 1 Peter chapter 3, we're looking at verses 1 through 7. Let's stand as we read this passage, and may the Spirit of God give us understanding, enlightenment as we read, and empowerment to live it. Peter writes these words. He says, wives in the same way. Now, he's just communicated this, uh, the gospel impact on our world and how we should be following like Christ, our, our chief shepherd, and and uh, submitting to that, and he says, in, in the same way, a context of all of us learning to submit to the lordship of Christ, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that even if some disobey the Christian message, some translations say the word there, it means the word about Christ, even if some are lost, they may be won over without a message by the way their wives live. Would they observe your pure, reverent lives? Your beauty should not consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold ornaments or fine clothes. Men, that's not an excuse not to buy your wife jewelry from time to time. Instead, it should consist of the hidden person of the heart without, uh, with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very valuable in God's eyes. For in the past, the holy women who hoped in God, also beautified themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You have become her children when you do good and aren't frightened by anything alarming. Husbands, in the same way, love, excuse me, live with your wives. You should love them too. But he says, live with your wives with an understanding or in an understanding way. Uh, he says, with an understanding of their weaker nature in the Holman Christian Standard Bible here, yet showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. And Father, we don't want our prayer this morning to be hindered, so we want to be in right relationship with you and with each other. Lord, if there's anything in our life that needs to be addressed or corrected, may your Holy Spirit take your truth and change our hearts and our lives. Bring us into harmony, Father, with you. Lord, I pray that every man, woman, boy, and girl in this place this morning would desire to submit to your lordship and see its impact on our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. I, I read someone's blog about how their mom taught them some deeper things in life from an early age on. You might not have thought uh, that your mom, as you were growing up, or for those of you who are young still and in the home, you might not have thought of her as a great philosophical instructor, but the truth is mom teaches us all kinds of deep things. And this particular blogger wrote that uh, his mom had taught him all kinds of deep things of life, 
uh, those most important areas it, just with a quick phrase, with a quick word that mom would use from time to time. So see if you can relate to any of these. He said, first of all, my mom taught me religion. And the phrase that she would often use is, you had better pray that this will come out of the carpet. <laughs> my mother taught me time travel. I, I can vouch for this one right here, I think. My mom taught me time travel by saying, if you don't straighten up, I'm going to knock you into the middle of next week. My mom taught me foresight. Make sure you wear clean underwear unless you're caught in an accident. (laughs) Anybody else, mom, ever say that? (laughs) Okay. My mother taught me irony. Keep crying and I'll give you something to cry about. My mother taught me contortionism. (laughs) Well, you look at that dirt on the back of your neck. (laughs) When I first saw the contortionism, I thought it was because she could see out of the back of her head. My mother taught me about weather. This room of yours looks like a tornado went through it. My mother taught me about envy. There are millions of less fortunate children in this world who don't have the wonderful parents you do. My mother taught me about anticipation. Just wait until your daddy gets home. (laughs) My mother taught me about receiving You're going to get it when you get home. My mom taught me about humor. (laughs) When that lawnmower cuts your toes off because you were mowing in flip-flops, don't come running to me. (laughs) My mother taught me wisdom. When you get to be my age, you'll understand. My mother taught me about justice. One day, you'll have kids, and I hope they turn out just like you. (laughs) How many of you moms have prayed that your children would have children that would turn out like them, and now you're getting that revenge already? You're enjoying that? You don't want to admit it, do you? Some of you will. (laughs) Thank you. All right. Well, why do we elevate? Listen, I thank God for mothers this morning. I thank God for godly women. And when we talk about elevating biblical womanhood, we're talking about elevating the idea of being God's woman in this world, being a true woman of God. Why do we make a big deal about that? Well, first of all, it's because of the attitude a godly woman displays. It is something that is precious, rare, and beautiful. And he says of this godly woman here, wives, speaking to the wives here, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husband, that even if some disobey the Christian message, in other words, even if your husband isn't right with God, you can win them over with this attitude. This, this disposition of godliness is a winsome spirit. And, and so your goal is not to defeat them or destroy them, but to win them to Christ. And if they do know Christ and they're not living right, you can still be winsome with this attitude that a godly woman displays. And and so it starts off with a word that many of us do not like. And and so I remember being at a rehearsal dinner before a wedding that I was going to do, and there was a uh, a member of the family sitting at the table with us, a a lady in the family of the one who was getting married sitting at the table with us. Don't worry, it's not a member of the Trinity family. This was somewhere else. But, But somebody at the table, a lady at the table who was not married said, I would never use the word submit in my wedding vows. 
And I thought to myself, well, you're going to have to take it out of the Bible first if we're going to stop using it in wedding vows. So many don't like that word. Now, having said that, that yes, it's in the Bible, so we can't just do away with it. We also have to understand, men, the context that that it's in in the Bible. So I want to say a few words about this word, submit, that we all need to be sure that we understand. Remember this. First of all, this submission, it's always used when it's describing the wife and and, and servants that, that work in the workplace. It's always used as a voluntary, not a forced submission. It's the kind of submission that Christ himself showed when he submitted himself to the will of the Father, Philippians chapter 2, and became obedient even to the point of the death of the cross, that he might win us over. And so this is a a voluntary submission. So if a man were to call me, I used to get these phone calls about, you know, the questions in the Bible. Where does the Bible say such and such? You know, Google messed up a lot of great conversations pastors used to have, right? But I used to get that phone call, Pastor Where does the Bible say that my wife is supposed to submit to me? Or how can I get my wife to submit to me? Well, listen, if you have to force it, it's not biblical submission. It is voluntarily submitting herself to the spiritual leadership of her husband. So it's not forced. It is Christ-like. In fact, all of us, men, women, boys, and girls, are never more like Christ than when we're submitting to the authorities in our lives. Secondly, in the context, both here where men are told to give honor and in Ephesians chapter 5 where wives are told to submit to a husband who will give himself sacrificially like Christ when he died for the church, men are always called to a greater sense of self-denial in the same context. And so it's much easier for a woman to recognize the spiritual leadership of a husband who is dying to self and alive in Christ and loving her as Christ loves the church. Always see that within the context. Also, we need to understand it within the purpose of marriage. Marriage is a covenant relationship. In the Old Testament, it always pictured God's covenant love for Israel and Israel's response to God. In the New Testament, it's a picture of the covenant relationship between Christ and the church. And so the reason we believe in a a complementarian view of marriage that men and women are not the same, that God created us different, that he gave us different roles and responsibilities, that we are equally valuable for God. In fact, we'll look in a moment at the text below us, and we might think, men, that our wives are much more valuable than we are to the kingdom. But when it comes to salvation and life in Christ, we are of equal value, created in the image of God, but yet we've been made different and given different roles to picture covenant love, the love between Christ and his church and between God and Israel. So it's a big picture of the little picture. Keep that in mind when that word submission is there. It's modeling that the church is to submit to the lordship of Christ. Uh, Differing roles do not reflect different value. The quarterback may call the play in the huddle, but he's not necessarily the MVP on the team. And so it doesn't communicate value. And then understand this, that there is biblical precedence for disobedience to commands to do evil and reject God's laws. Remember, the Bible also teaches in Romans 13 that we're to submit to governing authorities. But the disciples in Acts chapter 5, when they were told, don't preach Jesus anymore, don't tell anybody else about Jesus, they said, you have to make a choice, governing authorities, to do what you're going to do, but 
We can't help but preach Jesus. We can't help but obey God rather than man. And so there are times where a man might bring uh, blatant sin, abusive behavior, and a woman is not required by Scripture to stay under sinful commands and abusive physically or emotional behavior. She is to honor God, and even if it means honoring him, protecting herself by stepping out from under sinful instructions and directions and abuse from her husband. The point of this text is basically saying to these women, you're not going to win anybody over, your husband or anybody else, by acting like the women of the world. There is a a godly attitude that needs to be on display here. And so emasculating your husband's not going to help, doing anything, berating him. Listen, taking a 20-pound Schofield reference Bible and beating him over the head and telling him to get right with God is probably not going to change him. But he says you can win him without a word with this godly attitude. Now, when we talk about that, the world is rejecting it. There was a lady who came to me after a, a place where I had spoken recently Again, it wasn't a member of this church, so don't look around. But a lady came to me, and, and I could tell that she was a member of all of the high society type stuff in Athens, Georgia. And, and she just looked at me, and she said, when is your denomination going to get into the 21st century? And by that, she went on to reference our description of uh, gender roles and responsibilities and things like that. And I said, look, you know, I was very kind. I was very sweet in my remarks. But in the back of my mind, I was thinking, our problem is not that we haven't come into the 21st century. The problem is that we've left the teachings of the Bible that were in the first century. And we need to get back to what the Bible teaches us to be about. And so the Bible says that there's a difference between men and women. And women have an equal value but a separate role. We're complementary to one another. She's a helpmate to the one God created. And we see this as this passage kind of walks us through this this attitude that a godly woman displays. It says that she is to win him in her purity. When they observe, verse 2, your pure, reverent lives. So her purity, the word for pure, the same word for holy, hagias in the Greek. It means to be set apart, to be to be sanctified, to be different from the other women, the other people, the unbelievers in this world. It starts with a heart close to Jesus. As a woman walks with God and becomes a woman of God and is filled with the Spirit of God and allows the Word of God to be fleshed out in her life, that purity is seen in her behavior, it is seen in her speech, it is seen in her home, and what she allows or disallows in her home And it is seen in her life as a mom when she teaches those principles of holiness and purity to her children. And then it's seen in her reverence. Reverence has to do with a a fear, as some translations translate directly there, a fear of God, an understanding of God, a worship of God. So God is so all over this woman because of her reverence that it can cause the men in her life, it can cause those around her to almost be a little bit afraid of her. 
You don't want to be, it's where you're like, man, mama's walking so close to God, I better not be on her bad side. Because to be on her bad side is to be on God's bad side. It puts the fear of God in people. Now, I believe there are two types of women who can be in your life that cause fear. There are what we might call the mean girls, and then there are those who just walk so close to God that you fear God working in their life. And what Peter is saying, you be one of those godly women that you're walking so close to God that others sense that holiness, and it causes them to love and fear and respect God because of the attitude a godly woman displays. That's why we elevate this, this beautiful attitude. Secondly, because of the adornment a godly woman desires. Because of the adornment a godly woman desires. He says in verse 3, your beauty, in the New King James, it says, adornment should not consist of outward things. It shouldn't be focused on outward appearances. And he gives some examples like wearing of gold, ornaments, fine clothes, you know, where you have to have the nicest of everything. In verse 4, he will come back and say it should be the hidden person of the heart with an imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very valuable in God's eyes. And so the question when it comes to adornment, again, it's not saying, ladies, don't wear jewelry. Ladies, don't wear makeup. I remember years ago when Bailey Smith did a crusade here in Madison County, and, and some, he said somebody had come up and asked him, how much makeup should a Christian woman wear? And I'll never forget his reply. I was only a teenager when he said this. He said, I don't know. It depends on your face. <laughs> and so he's, it's not saying don't dress up, don't wear makeup, that sort of thing. It's just don't let that be what consumes you. Don't let that be what drives you. Let it be the inward adornment, not the outward adornment, but the inward adornment that works itself out. So don't be focused on outward appearances. Remember what Proverbs 31.30, I think we heard this morning, it says, charm is deceitful, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. And, and so she's concerned, verse 4, about the eyes of God, not the eyes of other women or men and how they are in some kind of competition with how they look outwardly. Again, it's not saying not to make yourself presentable. It's not saying there is glory in looking your worst. It says don't find your identity, your confidence, your esteem, and your ability to get a second look from people. That's not who you're trying to impress in this life. It's the heart of God that you want to win. And so in this passage, he gives an example of wearing too much. In today's world, it might be wearing too little, but it's, it's that you're trying to get the eyes of the people around you rather than the heart of God. That's the problem with the wrong adornment here. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 in the NIV says it this way, also want the women, women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. What we want to see or what a godly woman wants people to see in her life is that she is adorned with the Spirit of God and it works its way out from the inside. 
And ladies, that's what God is cheering on. I, I know what moms understand about being cheerleaders. Listen, moms are the greatest cheerleaders in the world. And I, I think it's one of the coolest things, one of the most exciting things. Just go to a, a high school competition somewhere. Bless their hearts. The little cheerleaders are over there trying their best, and nobody's listening to them. But mamas get up in the stands and start going crazy, and they rock the place. And so I'm glad that moms are the greatest cheerleaders there ever was. I know there's that little league ball player somewhere, and he's, he's sitting there putting his hand over his forehead going, oh, goodness, that's my mom in the bleachers. Oh, I'm embarrassed. But the truth is, moms, we love it, and it's exciting. You're the greatest cheerleaders, but I want you to know all that passion that you have for cheering on your kids, God is cheering you on. You are playing for an audience of one. So seek to honor him and please him. Don't listen for the applause of your coworkers. Don't listen for the applause of people who already don't like you in this life. Listen for the applause of heaven. Make that the most important eyes, the eyes of God, not the accolades of man. Now, Sarah, Abraham's wife, failed at this from time to time. Certainly, Abraham failed even worse in his leadership. But God still uses her as an example for adorning herself with grace and godliness. When he talks about in verse 5, for in past holy women who hoped in God, also beautified themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, you have become her children when you do good and aren't frightened by anything. Now, the word Lord here, man, it doesn't mean he was the dictator in her life. Keep in mind, that word was used in biblical times to to say something like sir or to show respect as a term of endearment. are not talking about a man having a Messiah complex and asking his wife to bow down to that. She saw God's call in Abraham's life and said, I want to do everything I can to help you get in on what God has for you. Can I just say that's one of the most attractive things about my wife is that she's always, from day one, even before we got married, said, I see God's call in your life And I want you to know I'm on your team. I am with you, and I'm cheering you on, and and, and we're partners in this ministry for life. She believed in Abraham, believed in God's call. Yeah, there were times, remember, when she heard she was going to have a child named not, she laughed. (laughs) And God had to rebuke her for it, but she was committed to helping Abraham lead in the long run. Through their good choices, through their bad choices, She was still there adorned with that kind of beauty. And finally this morning, I want you to see that we elevate biblical womanhood because of the acknowledgement that a godly woman deserves. Now, after giving six verses to the women, he says, men, you probably aren't smart enough to grasp six. I'm going to give you one right here, though. In one verse, verse 7, he says, I want you to dwell with them, live with them in an understanding way. I want you to show that, that you love them and, and, and you're discovering who they are and enjoy that process. You know her value, you discover her gifts, you know her passions, you, you learn her love language, and you understand that she was created in the image of God just like you. 
Remember, the Bible says God created man in his own image. Male and female created he them in the imago Dei, in the image of God. And so you're giving honor to her. And it says, as unto a weaker vessel. Now, to understand that language, it's not just saying that she doesn't have the biceps that you have. Because if I looked at 100 couples this morning, I could probably find one or two that she could whip you if she had to at least, right? And so it's not just talking about physical strength. 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21 talks about a large house that's filled with vessels to drink, and some are noble and some are ennoble. Some, some he's saying, are weaker and some are stronger. Now, the ennoble were often the, the stronger when it came to the physical appearance. In other words, there, there was the wood and there was the clay, and then there was the gold, and there was the silver. In your home, it may be that you have some coffee mugs like we have in my house. You may have that Tupperware teacup like Uncle Si, right? You know what I'm talking about? You may have that thing that you just can't destroy. Maybe your wife's wanted to throw it away before, but you just can't destroy it. It's cheap. It didn't cost much, but it's durable. It's physically strong. And then you have the fine china that's weaker, that would be easy to break. You only get to pull that out on special occasions. But it's more valuable. It's, it's fragile. And so weaker does not mean lesser in value here. It means that a man recognizes her value, that yes, she is delicate. Yes, she may be emotionally fragile, but it's because she is also exquisite. It's because her heart breaks for her husband. Her heart breaks for her kids. She is hurting and broken over the lost in this world and prays that they come to Christ, especially her own household. A godly woman cares, and because she cares, she is vulnerable, and we need to give her honor for leading in that way. She deserves our acknowledgement. That's what we heard from earlier again, Proverbs 31. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Honor her, Proverbs says. Honor her for all that her hands have done, and let her works bring her praise in the city gates. This morning, we want to honor our wives. We want to honor our mothers. We want to honor women. And what the world will try to do is they will try to take the biblical description of a woman of God and they will try to bring that biblical description of a woman of God down so that if anybody preaches or teaches it, they say that we're the ones belittling women. What the Bible does is it takes the role of a woman of God in this world and in her home and it elevates it so that when we hold high the biblical role, we're elevating our wives, we're elevating our mothers, we're honoring them because we realize that this is a value that God designed, that God created. And ladies, you might be feeling a little bit this morning like, well, I'm not really worthy of that. You may feel a little, little tired, a little worn out, a little beat up, a little frustrated. It all comes back to the fact that we are who we are and what we are by the grace of God. and the Holy Spirit at work within us. And you need both, and you need both a heavy dose every day. 
We need the grace of God in our life because we have all sinned and fall short of his glory. And when Jesus Christ went to a cross, he went to a cross on our behalf knowing we needed that grace. And we also need the Holy Spirit at work in us every day because you can read a a biblical description of a godly woman or a godly man or a godly young person and you can say, listen, I can't do that. I've tried. And God is saying this morning, ladies, quit trying and start trusting. Let me do something in you so I can do something through you. And that is on him and not on you. Just We sang it earlier, just surrender to him. Trust him with it. Let him do his work. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?